0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, we are in week seven. We have one more week of hot topics. And this morning's topic, I have a, a two-hour lecture in front of me. That's what's in these notes right here. And we have 30 minutes. And so if you want to find out, I can either talk at three speed or we can try to find a 35-minute sermon. But um, this has been a real challenging topic for me. These are great questions. This is an audience-driven sermon series, and so these are great questions from people. This morning, we're gonna talk about the Sabbath. And we're gonna do the Sabbath as a case study for reading and interpreting the Old Testament. So here's the questions I got. Number one, why should I bother reading or learning anything about the Old Testament? Now, if you've ever tried to read the Old Testament then that may be the reason you would ask this question. There's a lot of very strange things in there. There's a lot of things that are very difficult to understand. And there's some things that are even in there that seem contrary to things you think you already know. And so it can be a challenge. Not only that, but in our kind of seeker-sensitive age, there are more and more and more Christian leaders who are advocating against reading the Old Testament. To say there's too many obstacles, it's too confusing, you're gonna lose people, they need Jesus, give them the simple gospel, avoid the Old Testament completely. And so very popular pastors and authors have made this claim. And so this is a valid question and one that more than one, person is asking and so i want to talk about why you should read the old testament and then the second question was this why is honor the sabbath in the ten commandments if we aren't expected to observe it i don't know if you guys noticed or not but today is not saturday it's sunday and you came to church did you realize that what yes so we're not observing the sabbath in the way that the Old Testament prescribes. I know we are not under the law and we honor each day equally, but God in his foreknowledge felt it was important to be in the 10 commandments. How should we as Christians honor the Sabbath Saturday? If you've ever had questions related to these two, raise your hand so I can see how interested you are. All right, well, the rest of you just sit still be over in a minute, you know? (laughs) Um, Obviously, there's been a dramatic shift from Old Covenant Israelite observance of the Sabbath from sundown on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday evening, which is the seventh day of the week as prescribed in the Old Testament. And what we are experiencing as Christians in America in the 21st century who go to one of several church services on a Sunday morning, typically, and 1.7 times per month on average uh, with our wife and our 2.2 children. I've never seen these fractions of attendance. I don't know if you leave early and if your kid's are this small. I don't know how this works, but these are the statistics as if I understand them. So, how did we go from the shift? Now, obviously, a shift has taken place, and the shift is has been a long and slow and storied evolution from one to the other. And so I don't have time, and I'd love to talk about that whole shift from the first century to present and all the iterations it's gone through and the struggles and so on. But I do wanna use this opportunity to help us to think about what it is we're doing and why and also have a, some handles by which we can start to tackle some of the difficult questions as we read the Old Testament, which I strongly advocate that all Christians should read all of the Bible. So I don't think any of it's too hard or too difficult. And so I want everybody to read all the Bible. Now, what happened? What happened? Okay. In brief, what happened was, um, we, know we, we are a Messianic. We are followers of Jesus, Messiah. He is the Christ the anointed one, He is the perfect Israelite, the son of God, the son of man. He is the one the whole Old Testament is leading up to. And so we are following a Jewish Messiah. And so we are coming into a story that's already in progress and has a long past. And so if you are a non-Jewish Christian, you are part of a faith tradition that goes all the way back to creation. And the scriptures detail this for us. And so when Jesus arrived on the scene, when he fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, then commissioned the church to bring good news of great joy to all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, through faith in him, God's Messiah. This is when this whole church thing got started. Now, initially, Jewish converts to Christianity, I mean, it wasn't like there's Judaism and Christianity. These are two separate things. From our, from our Jesus-centered worldview, we are a continuity of everything that God had been doing in the, in the Old Covenant. This is God's storyline and we are coming into it, but the part we are in is a Jesus-centered part that has fulfillment as a feature. And so the early church that was largely um, Jewish, they continued to practice the Sabbath as they had for generations. And there was very little alteration except for a, a Christ-centric approach to the fulfillment of all the things they had been celebrating. They began to see Christ and all the things that they had been doing. And then as the gospel then moved out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and made its way to the ends of the earth, an increasingly Western Gentile population came to put their faith in Jesus. And for most of the Western world, which would have been the Western Mediterranean, kind of Western Europe, uh, those people already practiced a day off a week in worship to a sun god and so sunday was a more typical day off of work in those places and so they just started worshiping the lord on the day that they had off and it seemed fitting because jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week and in fact in my studies i found that going all the way back to the very first century there was contention among the church fathers about whether they should be worshiping on saturday whether they should be worshiping on sunday and there's no clear delineation that says, here's the answer to this. And so these people have this kind of evidence and these people have this kind of evidence and they're trying to sort this whole thing out and they've been doing that ever since. So this is kind of what happened and things developed along the course of time that led us to where we are today. Now, here's the thing I want to mention. Um, some of us are here and we don't care at all. You're like, I'm just trying to go to church with my kids, man. How this all got here and what day it is doesn't matter so much to me. If you had a Saturday service, I might go to that because it fits my schedule better. Who knows? Who knows? most of us aren't asking these questions, but we are asking questions like them. We open the Old Testament and we go, oh, there's these laws. And the ones that seem obvious to us, we go, yes, that is good. But then right next to it, there'll be a law like, yeah, and don't eat shrimp either. You're like, whoa, well, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. That, that must, that's somehow not relevant to me any longer. And so we, we become kind of arbitrary in our manner of pick and choosing through what the Old Testament says and our understanding of how it ought to be read and also applied. And so this, whether this is going to mean something to you or not, it's really an important kind of case study in how you ought to read and interpret the Old Testament. Some of us are just showing up to church and you're like, this is just the way it is. Christians go to church on Sunday and that's it. But that's not the way that it's always been. It reminds me of a story about a mom and her adult daughter who are cooking a, Easter dinner and so they, they're making a ham and the adult daughter goes to put the ham in the oven and the mom says, whoa, 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 wait a second. You have to cut three inches off the side of the ham right here. And she was like, oh yeah, I forgot, sorry. And then she's pulling the ham out and she goes, uh, why? And her mom's like, because. You know, I don't actually know why. And so they call grandma and they say, hey, grandma, we're here making Easter dinner together and um, we're cutting the side off the ham. Why do we do that? Oh, that, you know, I don't know. I'd have to ask my mom. Hey, granny. She gets the great-grandmother. She's hard to hear. And hey, granny, why do we cut the side off the ham? You know what she says? Because my pan's too small. (laughs) You see how these things work out? After a while, you've been doing something for so long, you have no idea why we do this and where this all came from. So what I want us to do is look at the Sabbath from this angle and then also kind of consider other texts that we may come across and how they kind of fit into the big picture. So to do that, I want to jump to Genesis chapter two. I told you all this stuff goes back to Genesis. This is no different. Now, the fourth commandment is in Exodus chapter 20, but we're going to go back to Genesis chapter two. That's where Sabbath observance begins. Genesis chapter two, at the end of the creation narrative, God's made the whole world in six days, form, 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 days one to three, fill, 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 Mankind, as male and female places them in this perfect garden, everything's culminated, and now he's going to work with mankind to bring about fruitfulness, multiplication, and dominion on this planet, but he's going to do so on the cycle of a seven-day week upon which he wants his creation to rest on the seventh day. Genesis 2, one to three. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set apart, different, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. That's what Sabbath means, to cease, to stop, to rest. Now, here's my question for you. Did God need a break? Was God like, "Whoo! I am tuckered. All I need is, all I need is to binge watch some Netflix and my lazy boy today, that's what I need. That is not what God was thinking at all. In fact, God is doing this for mankind as an example because he knows how we are made and what we need. And he is the one who has set all things in order. He's a God of order, right? So this is the creation narrative. Now we get to the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. So we've got the first three out of the way. And in verse eight, it says, to the Israelites in the wilderness through Moses, the law coming through Moses. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy just like we heard in the story. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You know your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. I love that it gets this detailed in the 10 commandments because it could have just stopped at that first verse. But the problem with rules is that people are always like, well, how far can we push this before we're breaking the rule? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, I am resting today. Hey, kids, you know, you're like, put them to work. And then you're like, oh no, the family needs to rest, but we'll put the servants to work. We'll make the donkey do its work. We'll put, the, we'll put the, the mill on and we'll, or we'll, hey, we'll just grab us a slave or a sojourner. We'll make them do it. We're gonna get it done and we're gonna fulfill the rule, but we've missed the spirit of it. You guys see how this works? And so here Moses, God speaking through Moses is detailing, you know, no, no this is for everybody, everybody. And here's the reason why, verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. So God sets the precedent in his activity, and this is what we are supposed to do as a result. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so there's this blessed day, and this is what sets apart Israel among the nations of the world, that they are a free people. I also wanna point out to you that the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That's a lot of generations, is it not? 400 years. Do you know that the Egyptians at this time had a 10-day week, not a seven-day week? Now, a lot of different cultures have toyed around with the passage of time and the keeping of time in calendars. The Egyptians had 10 gods. They had 10 days. And do you know how many days off the Israelites got? None, because they were slaves. They work, 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 and that's all they did was work. And now they are receiving in the Ten Commandments a gift from God, a rule that is meant to do several things, the first of which is to dignify them as human beings made in God's image not to be subjugated, but set apart for something holy. And because of that, they are no longer made to work all the time, but now they work and toil, but they also rest. Do you see how profound and powerful this is? If you've spent your entire life being made to work by a slave master, and now you're receiving this gift from God that says, no, it's seven days, not 10, and the last one, no work for you. Sweet! It's a pretty good gig, isn't it? And so you gotta start to think about this. Before you get to Exodus chapter 20 and we see the fourth commandment being the commandment, the rule to observe the Sabbath, God uses this concept of Sabbath to test his people in how they relate to him by faith. And so if you back up to Exodus chapter 16, I read it in the first service, took way too much time. I'm gonna paraphrase it. It's one of my favorite stories. You can read it. It's chapter 16, verses 14 to 30. This is where God is gonna feed the Israelites with manna from heaven. Okay, and so God has led them out of slavery in Egypt, which are like, yeah, out of slavery in Egypt, miraculously through the Red Sea. Yeah, through the Red Sea. And he brought them into the desert. And in the desert, there was no food or water. There was no Wawa in the desert. I need a hokey, And so you have all these thousands of people, tens, hundreds of thousands of people. And they're like, hey, where's the food gonna come from? And so God miraculously decides he's gonna feed them by bringing with the morning dew a flaky substance that is like frost across the ground. So what was manna? Frosted flakes. That's what it was. <laughs> the Israelites would go out and collect them and they're great. I mean, they would, they, so this is what was happening here. And so they, they, this is how God starts to feed the people and it's miraculous. Now, it's doubly miraculous, but notice the pattern. God does not drop loaves of sliced bread from heaven. That is not manna. Manna is the substance required to make bread, but it has to be collected It has to be prepared, has to be cooked before it can be eaten. And here is God's miraculous provision and interaction with mankind where he is God and we are not. He does what we cannot do, but he always wants us to work with him to bring about his good. Do you see this? It's a beautiful pattern. But he does this amazing thing with Sabbath and the feeding of the manna. He says, I'm going to feed you with manna from heaven. On six days, the manna is gonna come every day. And every day you're gonna get an omer, basically a jar per person in your house. And there will be enough for everyone. I have 25 people in my house, no problem. 25 jars. Well, I only have three people in my house. There are three jars. And everybody would get one jar per person and the whole there would would always be enough for everybody. Miracle number one. Miracle number two is God wanted them not to collect and make bread on the Sabbath. And so on Friday, there would be two jars for everybody. Now this is super, super important because God said, I wanna feed you for today. So Jesus revealed this in Matthew chapter nine, give us this day, our daily bread. So Moses told the people, do not save any manna for tomorrow. You have a manna for today and it'll be manna from God tomorrow. And what does that invoke in us? Dependence and trust, okay? But what do they do? Some of them, I need a little midnight manna. And so they keep an extra jar for themselves. They don't need it all. And they want to make sure they're taking control. They're watching out for themselves. No one else is going to do it for me. The people in charge just take advantage of me. I'm the only one who has to care for me and mine. Do you see the slave mentality? And so what happens to it? It breeds worms and it stinks. You guys ever gone out to the garage to get the cooler for a picnic only to find the last picnic still in the cooler? <laughs> this is the experience. But they, they tested God. God said, trust me. And instead they did the opposite. Do you see this? And so they're failing this test of faith. Now, the third thing was God says, no working on the Sabbath. That means no collecting, no no making. So you're gonna get double on Friday. That means you'll have enough for tomorrow, but just rest. And verse 27 says, some of the Israelites got up on Sabbath morning. What'd they do? They went out to collect and there was none. And so this is a picture of how God is using Sabbath and Sabbath provision to establish a relationship of faith and trust between his people. And so he ends up codifying this commandment, not just, not just giving us this to look to, this little story, but codifying this into the 10 commandments as a distinctive to bring about a relationship with God by faith. You see where this is going? Because God's gonna send bread from heaven. John chapter eight tells us, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, consume me because I am the source of of supernatural life that God has provided. And so you have to have the faith to do things God's way. And that's what the Israelites were an example of. And that's what the Sabbath was about. So serious was God about keeping this commandment that Exodus chapter 31 tells us that the penalty for working on the Sabbath was, guess, death. It's kind of a big penalty. I sometimes feel like that on the one day a week where I get to sleep in and I have my door shut and I'm telling my kids like, do not come in here. I will emerge when I'm ready. You understand? It's very tense. I have four kids I haven't slept in like 14 years. (laughs) Not only does Exodus 31 tell us that the penalty for breaking the Sabbath is death, but it also establishes the fact that Sabbath and Sabbath keeping is a sign it is a sign of your inclusion in the people of God that you belong to him. And the, the expression of that is through your Sabbath keeping. Now, there can be no doubt that Jesus, his disciples, and all first century Christians in and around Jerusalem kept the Sabbath day holy in the same way that preceding generations had done so. However, most of the Christendom. Most of Christ, professing Christians in today's age worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, and many even call it the Sabbath. We even have that in business. And you guys know God's favorite fast food restaurant is closed today. Chick Fil A, right? Why? They're observing a Sabbath, and they're not causing any of their employees to work, and they're not making any money. Have you ever you guys ever thought? Have you ever seen how successful a Chick Fil A is? There is that drive thru is is full. From the time they open till the time they close, six days a week. You ever calculate how much more money they could make if they were to open their store on Sunday? But they won't do it, right? Same thing with Hobby Lobby. You should have seen the line in there yesterday. Everyone's like, I got to get my extra Omer at Hobby Lobby because they're going to be closed on Sunday. Even my favorite Thai restaurant, small non-chain restaurant in Daytona, best Thai food you've ever had, Zen Bistro, closed on Sunday. Mm. Here. Sometimes I want Thai on Sunday. I'm just saying. And so we've turned the Sabbath into Sunday. But this doesn't fly, does it? I got any, Span- any Spanish speakers in the house? Spanish speaker? A little bit? Uh, what's the Spanish word for Saturday? Sabado, which comes from Sabbath. What's the Spanish word for Sunday? Domingo, the Lord's day. I mean, the, the Romance languages came out of a world that had both Sabbath practice in it and Sunday worship so much so that it shaped the Spanish language. I don't know if Portuguese is the same. I don't know any Portuguese. Sabado, Domingo. And so here's this world we're living in. The question we're asking, and so if I'm doing a two-hour lecture, which we're not gonna do, but if I'm doing a two-hour lecture, what I wanna point out to you is what these two questions have in common is they're asking about the degree of continuity and discontinuity between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. That's what this is about. When I open the Old Covenant, what carries through and what doesn't? And how do you know that? Now, most of us who grew up in church, we came from a tradition where somebody thought about that question and answered it and all the things we were taught and told assumed one of the ways that people get through this. For instance, some traditions would, would profess that nothing, no Old Testament commands that aren't explicitly repeated in the New Testament are binding on the people of God. And that's the way that they come to a conclusion about what things you should do and what things you don't. Some churches even have what's called the regulatory principle. And because there's no musical instruments listed or used in the New Testament, they only sing a cappella. Anybody come from a tradition like that? And so you're asking the question, what do we carry through and what do we not? And these are important questions to ask. And a lot of the things that we think we know are based on what we believe about this continuity or discontinuity. <laughs> mind blown. I had to work so much harder on this sermon this week. And part of the reason was, a lot of the continuity and discontinuity categories I had in my mind were formulated by taking somebody else's interpretive method and just assuming that that was correct. And then I went back to the scriptures with an open mind about this question, and I was like, all the things I thought about this aren't in there. It's very troubling. And so I'm coming back to go, all right, well, what is the answer? And as I did that, I started getting very unsettled what if I've been wrong about this whole Sunday worship thing? What if we were supposed to be observing the Sabbath, especially like legit from like sundown on Friday to Sunday on Saturday, we've been doing this whole thing wrong all this time. And what would that mean for like the Christian world? What would that mean for my life and our family and this church? And the question's there because to be a follower of Jesus is to do whatever he says. And if you find out you've been wrong, guess who needs to change? Not him. Sorry, Lord That's not how this works. And so I was very unsettled. So I started working through all of these questions. Now, I wanna answer the questions for you, but before I do that, I want to tell you and preach to you. I'm teaching you, but I wanna preach to you. You guys ready for a little mini sermon in the middle of this lecture? Doesn't matter if you are or not, because here we go. I wanna tell you how important the Sabbath is. Tiffany and I have this rule that we don't give each other gifts on Christmas that are things that we need. And I wanna just recommend to all the husbands, do not buy your wife a vacuum cleaner. For Christmas. Now, it may sound like I'm talking from personal experience. Do not buy her an iron for Christmas, okay? Jewelry, permissible. Definitely things that she wants, likes. Apple Watch, maybe coming. Do not buy her something that she needs, okay? That's free, by the way. That was just from me to you. But listen God gives good gifts all throughout the scripture. And one of the things it says about the Sabbath early on is that God gave the Sabbath, it's gift language. God gave the Sabbath to mankind. And Jesus makes this really clear in all four of the gospels, he comes back to this point. The Sabbath and this idea of of weekly rhythmic rest is a gift from God, but it is a gift to meet a need. And I wanna show you how good God is because the Sabbath involves restrictions. I don't know if any of you grew up in kind of like a, tight or strict or maybe even legalistic church background where rules were kind of held in high regard and there was kind of punishment involved if you broke the rules. And your kind of God experience was all about rule breaking and rule keeping and it felt very restrictive. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody grow up in church? No? We always come, but Sabbath has restrictions, but it is not about restrictions. And this is what Jesus makes so plain in the gospels. It is not about restrictions. Here's what Sabbath is about. It's about the four things four of the things that you need. You ready for this? Uh, Number one, you need rest. This is why I will never criticize anybody for falling asleep in church, ever. Because I know you need rest. I need rest. If I wasn't the one standing and talking, I very well may be the one sleeping. That's how I know that we need rest. Plus, if you can sleep through me preaching, you really need rest. So let them sleep, everybody, all right? If their phone goes off, just silence it for them. That's all I'm going to say about that. God knows how much we need rest. Listen, do you realize that God designed you in your humanity to spend one third of your life unconscious? Like you are supposed to sleep eight hours a day. You are like dead to the world and that's just our normal existence. We don't even think about it. Do you realize how utterly dependent we are upon God? And he knows that we need rest. And here's the problem. In our 21st century American Christianity, we are horrifically overcommitted. Horrifically. We are working so much and taking on so much at the office and extracurricular and at home and projects and sports and family and church and volunteering. We're doing all of these things. We are driving ourselves mad and sucking the very life out of ourselves. And God's over here going, I would like to give you a break we do this thing where we think the break is just around the corner. After I do this thing, then I'm going to rest. Do you guys do this with me? Am I the only one that goes, I can't wait till the holiday season. It's going to be so restful. And then you're like, I signed up to do so many things. This is not going to be fun at all. You're like, I can't wait for January when I can go back to work. That's where the rest happens. Just regular work. And if you feel like that, you're missing something that God wants to give to you. Now listen, rest looks different for all of us. I sometimes find it very relaxing on a Sunday afternoon to mow my grass. Now, if you are a landscaper, that is not what you want to be doing on Sunday afternoon, is it? You're like, it can wait. I'll do it after I get home tomorrow, right? Because we rest differently. Now for me, I'm like, I cannot be bothered. I don't have my phone on me. No one approaches me to talk to me. I'll even like, it's loud and dirty. I have distance. I'm quiet. It's just me and the lawnmower and dust. And I don't want to talk to anybody. I'll even take my shirt off to make sure that never doesn't happen. Nobody walks up to me. Ooh, let's give him a minute. That's, I'm like, ah, oh, so restful, right? So all of us rest in different ways. And that's okay, but you need to receive the rest that God wants to give you. Secondly, this is so important, you need hope. We are so bad at this. We don't recognize this because we don't have a little visible hope meter, but you guys know God made us to live in a world in which we are aware of time and its passing. We live in this present that's going by at a crazy rate and we have this memory of the past, things we did wrong, things we did right, things that we love, things that we long for, things that we have remorse and regret over, and then we have an unknown future in front of us and the problem is we are so overcommitted and we are so stressed out and we are so undersupplied that when we look to the future, it looks bleak and dark sometimes and we need to have our minds brought back to something that anchors us in God's future and in God's priorities for this present. And Sabbath worship in rhythm does that for us. Listen, we, you, can't, you can't exist in, in your human experience without hope. Your hope meter will go down, 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 down. You'll get distracted. It'll all start to come on you. You are, the, you, are, you are the one who's gonna solve this. I have four children. I'm looking at them sometimes and I'm like, I got work to do. I got work to train them. I got work to provide for them. I got things that I'm doing wrong. I'm trying to work on myself. I'm trying to work on the marriage. If, if we're not doing well, then they're not doing well. And I got all, all this stuff, all these responsibilities over here and all these people. And, you, and the problem is, is we lose sight of God's future because we don't take the time to sh- turn off all the noises and all the demands and focus on the story. And that's what Sabbath does for us. It reminded God's people, Israel, that he's the one who delivered them from slavery. He's the one that set them free. He's the one that dignified them. He's the one that set them apart. He's the one that wants to meet with them. He's the one who saved them. Do you see this? And we need that infusion of hope. It's so important, we need, we need remembrance. And it's part of the reason we, we have singing. I've had some of you guys say to me, cause I don't ever preach all my notes and sometimes they're like, I wanna know what's in there. And I've had people say to me like, we could just skip the whole singing thing. You just give me the rest of the sermon. That's what I really want. But that may be an indication that your hope is small because when you remember and when you reflect, it can only come out in joy. And sometimes joy is most easily let out through singing. And if you don't like the singing, it may be because your, meet, your hope meters, you're running on light, you're running on empty. And I don't want you to be anemic in the hope department. I want you to be so filled with hope that you're so filled with joy that the only way to let it out is, is singing. And you're like, I don't sing. Everyone can sing, I can't sing. You can sing, watch Elf. It's just like talking. It's just longer and louder, right? I'm singing, I'm in church and I'm singing. You gotta learn because hope is rejoicing. And so you need hope and God wants to give it to you in rest. Oh, so much we could say about that. Third thing, guess what? You need God and other people too. That's what you were made for. You weren't made to be alone. You were made to do it alone. You were made to walk alone and you need God and you need other people and you need an opportunity to reconnect with God and other people. This is why there's no prescription in the Old Testament for synagogue gathering on the Sabbath. And yet the people of God have always gathered on those worship days in their families and in their feasts and with, their, and with God's people to, around God's word and in God's presence because we need to reconnect with God. And that's a huge part of what Sabbath is. And we need to reconnect with other people. We need to see, we need to be reminded that there are other people like us who are grappling through this life to receive all of God's good gifts and to walk in them and to face challenges and to do so with humility and dependence and in fellowship. We need that reminder, don't we? Sometimes we look around and we go, everyone's fine and I'm a mess. No, we're all a mess. But when we're together, we're reminded that there's something bigger going on here. We've got to have that time to reconnect. Now, I need to confess and repent to you guys. Um, this Monday, last this past Monday, during staff meeting, we're praying around the table, the staff, and we have all the prayer cards that people have filled out. We're praying for all those people. We're praying for the needs that we know of. And we're praying for the things that we're thinking of, the plans that we have. And Tiffany, my beautiful wife, she starts to pray for all of you, everybody in the whole church. And she was praying that people would come to connect with God in new, deep and profound life-altering ways. And then she started praying for people who aren't following Jesus and aren't in church, that God would bring them through invitation to church so that they can hear God's good news of great joy for all people, so that they can have hope in their life. She was praying this. And while she was praying this, the Holy Spirit just stuck me in the heart. He started talking to me and he was convicting me. He was saying, since you went to three services, you've been making jokes about how much trouble it is and how complaining about it. And you've been talking, making jokes about writing sermons that'll run people off. And you have been talking about church in a way that makes people and motivates people not to come to church. It's been making it sound like, oh, it'd be better if I wasn't there, but make more room for other people. Oh, it's a nuisance and a bother, and so I'm not gonna do it. Or I'm gonna go someplace else where uh, where there's room for me. And the Holy Spirit was saying, that is the exact opposite of what I've called you to do here. <laughs> Ouch. And so I stopped everything, I interrupted the prayer. I confessed that to the staff. I said, God showed me I'm doing this. And part of the, part of the reason is I'm worried. I'm worried about burning out our volunteers. I'm worried about what happens when we have to add a fourth service and a fifth service and when's this building gonna be built? And what are we gonna face and all the problems? And I'm doing the exact opposite of the rest that God's calling me to walk in. Cause that stuff's above my pay grade. Do you realize that? I can't control any of those things at all. I'm not the one who calls lost people. I'm not the one who draws people back. I'm not the one who makes things happen with the county and finances. And I'm not in control of the world economy. I can't do any of those things, but the thing I'm supposed to do, I wasn't doing. And the very activity that I was doing was encouraging the exact opposite of what God called me to do. Because God wants to connect with you. And if anything I say is making you think that it'd be better for you and others or me, if you weren't here, if you weren't connecting with God. And so you do this thing where you go, well, I'll just watch online, it's fine. Watch the live stream. Which by the way, live streaming is fine, but it's like watching the Food Network instead of going on a date to a restaurant, okay? Right? You can see it all, but you can't taste it. It's like putting the little crackle fireplace on your screen. It's like all the visuals, none of the warmth. Do you see how this works? But then we do this thing where we go, the live stream turns into, I'll watch it tonight, on Monday and then you miss seven weeks and now I'm gonna catch up next Thursday. And before you know it, you've just disconnected yourself from God altogether. And I don't wanna have anything to do with that. And so I'm just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for joking about that. I'm sorry for in any way incentivizing or motivating anybody not to connect with God and with other people at Christ Church. That is the last thing that I wanna do. And so if that's influenced you, forgive me because we were made for God and we were made for each other. So we need rest, we need hope, we need God and other people. And then lastly, here's a big one. You ready for this? Why is it a law? Because you need help saying no. Most of us, really bad at saying no, aren't we? I'm gonna do a series sometime on just all the ways to say no. I've had to do this for myself. I'm a bit of a people pleaser. Have you ever had this experience where you're like, I mean, you're tapped to the eyeballs and then somebody comes up to you and says, can you commit to this thing for the next seven weeks? And in the moment you're like, sure. (laughs) And you get in your car and you're flush. You're like, what did I just say yes to? Have you ever had that feeling of trying to fire off a text message of I'm sorry, I can't do the thing I just said I could do? You ever had to do that? You're like, no, that's not gonna work. Can't say it like that. Nope, that sounds terrible. My grandma died. No, my fifth one. Nope, again. <laughs> the funeral's in Mozambique. I, sorry, I can't make it. You're like, it's terrible. But we do this thing where we just overcommit, 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 overcommit. And God gives us this rule and it's community rule for everybody to go, yeah, we're just not gonna do that. And that's so beautiful. You remember this from being a kid. You remember when you had that friend I wanted you to spend the night. And you're like, Ooh, I don't want to go to their house. Their house is stinky and their brother is weird and their parents yell at each other. I do not want to spend the night here. You want to spend the night in my house? And you're like, my mom said no. <laughs> Sorry, I want to, I want to. She said no. In the Sabbath, God does the same thing for us. He goes, listen, everybody, Saturday, you're all off. Nope, them too. Nope, them too. Everybody. Okay, God said it. He's creating an environment where these things can happen, where you can get the rest you need where you can be reinvigorated with the hope of God's story and your place in it, where you can connect with God in real time in his presence, not just, just watching other people do it and where you can have somebody else protect that time for you. And so rules are good. They're, they're helpful. That, that pushes against our rugged individualism in the United States in the 21st century of America. We're like, oh, personal liberty. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. I will go to church when I feel like it, okay? Back off. We are like the outback of religious circles. No rules, just riot, you know? <laughs> Don't tell me that I have to go to church, but it's a gift from God. All right, now I wanna get back to the, I wanna close here and I wanna answer the question. Where is this discontinuity? Because we can just look at church history. We can. I can tell you what happened best as I can understand. I can tell you what happened with Christians I can tell you what happened in the church fathers when they started kind of arguing about this i can show you evidence that there was sunday worship happening in the very first century i can show you that the eastern church and the western church did not see eye to eye i can show you where constantine in 321 decided sunday was a holiday for everybody inside the city but not the farmers we need them to work we got to eat you know and i can show you where christians observed sabbath while it was good for them culturally, but as soon as there was persecution on Jews, they were like, we're not with them, we're on Sunday. And so there was a lot of shift. And I can tell you what happened, but it's going to come down to an issue of faith in your heart about what God intended and how we ought to uh, receive it. And that was actually what was happening in the first century. You can read these on your own, but in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 17... And also in Romans 14, one to nine, the apostle Paul is writing to churches who are fighting over this very issue. And he was saying, listen, some of you think the Sabbath should be observed this way. And some of you say all days are alike. And so just do whatever's in your heart. Now, here's the solution for both of these two letters. He says, don't judge each other, love each other. (laughs) Because whatever you do, do it to the Lord. If you have a conviction of Sabbath keeping, then do that and do that to the Lord. If you're gonna worship on Sunday, do that and do that to the Lord. And don't mistreat each other based on your disparity of belief. So that's what those two references are in Colossians 2 and Romans 14. My challenge to you, however, is will you personally evaluate your practice of God's commands to rest cyclically? Will you think for a second and ask the question genuinely, humbly, do I work too much? Am I feeling the weight of providing and I'm not trusting God to let him be God. And so all I do is work. Am I doing that? Have I decided that things that matter to me are more important than the things that God say matter to him? Now, these are probing questions and they're ones that we can only answer for ourselves. The problem is, is if we decide what's best for us, when God says something else is, we are missing out on the blessing. I don't know if you noticed this, but every time God mentioned the Sabbath, he said it was blessed. He said, there's a blessing. He said, it's a gift. He said he wants you to rest. He says he wants you to live a a life characterized by hope. He says he wants you to draw near to him, to be connected. He wants you to be surrounded by people that infuse you with encouragement and life. He wants you to have a line that you're not willing to cross because you know that this is what's best for me. Even if there's things out there that look like they might be better for me, I'm gonna trust God. Does this remind you of a certain tree in the garden of Eden? Did God really say, is that really what's best for you? If you would just cross this line, that's where you're gonna find and we're going to be the people of faith that say, no, no, God has shown his love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And so I'm going to trust him and I'm going to, I'm going to receive his good gifts. I'm going to receive his gift of salvation. I'm going to receive his gift of forgiveness. I'm going to receive his gift of adoption into his family. I'm going to receive his gift of rhythmic rest. I'm going to say no to opportunities. I'm going to say no to more income. I'm going to say no to the demands and pressures of other people so that I can live my life and raise my family in a rhythm that God says is holy and blessed and makes me depend upon him. That doesn't feel like a rule to me. That feels like an invitation into something that I'm really excited about. I know a lot of kids. Grew up being told to stop that on Sunday. I don't know if you had that experience, some of your older crowd, if you had a strict set of parents who were cutting off the side of the ham, they really couldn't even tell you why as long as you weren't having fun on Sunday. But I'll tell you, they didn't know what it was like to spend every day of their life a slave only to be led into freedom and have a God say, I want you to take a break. I want you to be dignified. I want you to have rest. I want you to connect. I want you to know that you are worth it. And we have no clear picture of that than in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I just wanna pray for each of us as we contemplate that question. And especially I wanna pray for you if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower. Maybe you're maybe you're here just visiting or maybe you're kind of checking out Christianity or maybe you're kind of Christian adjacent with your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you click Christian on your eHarmony profile because of the lady that you're interested in. I don't know why you're here. But I know that God doesn't make any mistakes and nothing's on accident. And he wants to give you a gift and it starts with the gift of salvation. And that comes through faith, just like this test. And I wanna challenge you, implore you, I wanna plead with you to believe God. He knows what's best for you. To take the things you're holding on to, lay them down at, your, at his feet and come to him with open hands. And let today be the first day that you start receiving Good gifts from his hand. Amen. Let me pray for us. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? God, I pray for every person in my hearing as we evaluate and consider what it means for us to say no to things so that we can say yes to receiving this good gift of rhythmic rest, where we can begin to have our lives characterized by a weekly infusion of hope and recentering and reprioritizing. God, I pray that you would help us to regularly remind ourselves that we were made by you and for you, to walk with you and to do so in community with other people. And I pray that we would make hard choices, all of us, so that we can receive a good gift. And I just wanna pray for you, especially if you're here and you haven't said yes to God before, you haven't haven't prayed that prayer to say, all right, God, you are God and I am not. And I'm gonna begin believing you today. And I'm gonna trust you today. And I'm going to say, "You are Lord, and I, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. And that's that first good gift. And if you're here today, I want to challenge you, don't leave today.